Well, hello again, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Inside Curling with me, Jungle Jim Jerome, and really the two guys who make the whole show go. <laughs> Kevin Martin, our World Curling Hall of Famer, gold medalist, Olympian, uh, and Warren, who invented the curling rock. Okay, that's how old he is. Okay, he went, uh, goes that far back. Warren Hansen, of course, another World Curling Hall of Famer, joins us each and every week. We couldn't do it without them. Uh, we appreciate all you guys listening uh, to us, and we, certainly we appreciate our sponsors. We'd like to thank Jackpot City, who brings you what's happening around the Curling World Coyote Tractor, presents Hot Rock Topics, and Goldline, who brings you In the House, which we have a guest this week, and Hearing Life, who sponsors What Are You Hearing? So here's what's on the show today. We have Pivey Latala. By the way, who's from my, my hometown in Sudbury, good Finnish girl. And she runs the Leaside Curling Club, one of the most successful clubs. Warren, I saw the notes you sent me last night in this club. It's like, oh, my God. Uh, she, she might be the secret to running all clubs. We're going to talk to her. Also, what's happening around the curling world? There was an event in Red Deer this week involved a few of the top teams. We're going to check in on that, the Red Deer Classic. Uh, we had mentioned last week the European Championships happening in Aberdeen, Scotland. Uh, we'll get an update on that. Warren made some comments. No, you didn't, Warren. You didn't make any comments, did you, last week that someone didn't like? <laughs> About the provision of an FM signal uh, to the crowd at, uh, at the Season of Champions events. So I get that. You get, a little, you get a little earpiece and you can hear what's going on. We're going to give you an update on that situation. Uh, also, let's see who the top teams are in the world as of November 20th. And it could be... The top teams weren't, I, I bet curling's okay because I'm reading this week that the, the PGA is almost disintegrating with all the players who are speaking about who gets all the cash. So that'll be uh, interesting when we lo- look at who are the top curlers because I got a couple questions for you guys about that. Uh, hot Rock Topics, we're going to discuss a couple more emails today. We love those. And Hearing Life brings you, uh, what are you hearing? Kevin met a Canadian at the World Mixed Doubles Championship last year in Korea, who lives there. Uh, so we're going to uh, talk about Richard Bates, who we got an interesting note from. Okay, here we go. Uh, always one of my favorite parts of the show every week is when we have a guest. It's time for In the House, brought to you by Goldline. Goldline Curling's Momentum shoes are unbelievably comfortable with a fast, reliable slider and a gripper that will keep you steady on the ice. Learn more at Goldline Curling. Dot com. Uh, Warren, I guess you should have. Last week, our guest was uh, Guy Hemmings. It, I, no, I think it was you, Kevin, when he showed up on the ice without a gripper or a slider. <laughs> That's a true story. <laughs> yeah. Uh, our guest today, uh, we, we, you know, a, a lot of the time we've been spending on this show talking about uh, curling clubs and the success of them and some of them not so successful. And uh, it's, it's been a tough go. Uh, of course, everyone came through COVID. Uh, so we've had a number of uh, managers on talking about their clubs and what they're doing to, to keep it alive. But one of the most successful clubs in the country is the uh, Leaside Curling Club. And uh, joining us now is the manager of the Leaside Curling Club, Paive Litala. Did I say that right, Paive? <laughs> Pretty good. Full marks. Yeah, thanks. You're from my neck of the woods. You're from Sudbury. So you're you're... One of the great Finlanders who, who comes from there. One of many, yes. Yeah, good. Uh, <laughs> so you've done many different things. Uh, the club is very successful, as you said, with, with uh, you know, a thousand members and corporate events. Uh, I, I think the membership I was reading this morning is from seven years old up to 95 years old. You have one of the unique things of uh, having a club pro, and that's John Epping, who is the club pro there, so... Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Talk about the club quickly. There was a transition there from city-owned to membership-owned. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, the, the club is celebrating its 60th anniversary, and it is uh, owned and was operated by the City of Toronto up until 2015. Um, the problem with the city running the organization was essentially that The curling club doesn't fit the model of the traditional municipal sporting association. Um, They didn't really see the benefit of having a full-time manager on hand. The ice staff 
uh, were essentially in the same category of employee as Zamboni drivers. So we really didn't have optimal ice conditions. And uh, we really felt that the way that we could go and achieve what we wanted was to have the board of op- the board of directors operate the club. It took about 15 years for the board to reach an agreement with the city. And it was really primarily due to the efforts of Gail Walker, um, who really took the, the torch and said, we want to run our club. And we achieved an agreement with the city in 2015. And I would say it is the absolute best thing we ever did. Uh, we've grown the membership. We've improved the facilities by investing in new humidifier, new club lighting. We were finally able to install the uh, Vraxis ice mister system. Uh, we had hired competent professional ice making staff. We've bought new rocks. We've renovated the lounge. We've renovated the bathrooms. So it has really, really been a win-win situation for us. Yeah. Uh, nearly 1,100 members this year. So we're we're pretty, pretty busy. How were you able to do that? Because a lot of the stories we hear from, from clubs are, are much like you were just saying, where they do need new equipment and they do need uh, you know, a bunch of stuff in the club and, and they got to put a new roof on, they got to do all sorts of other things. And yet we're hearing more often than not that uh, the club can't bear that, that that they don't have enough money. How, how are you guys able to do all those improvements? Well, certainly um, the arrangement we have with the city is that we pay them rent and the city is responsible for capital expenditures. But because of the success of our uh, corporate uh, rental program, uh, we make a lot of money every year. Um, I'm booking about $150,000 worth of rentals, and that's a combination of school, corporate, and private events. Um, I was looking at the numbers yesterday. We're a third of the way through our season. I'm already over $70,000 of confirmed bookings. So really, um, at this point, it is that um, the, the base membership fees cover our operating costs, and it's the corporate and other rentals that really allow us to go and invest in the club. What are your fees? So essentially, if you're curling one time a week in the evening or the weekend, you're paying approximately $550 to $575. A daytime curler playing once a week is paying approximately $360. For every additional league, you pay an additional small amount, but it's a smaller amount for each incremental league. And is that year-round? We curl from September through April under the arrangement with the city. We can only operate as a curling club. So I, I have no activities happening at the club during the summer. No pickleball, no wedding receptions, no trade fairs or trade shows of any kind. Very good. Uh, Kevin. Sure. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to uh, to chat with us this morning. Um, so does the, does the building just, does the city use it in the summertime or do you, or it's just not used at all? It, it really isn't used. Um, this past summer, uh, we just, uh, again, did a, a washroom renovation. Um, we try and carry on some some projects during the summer. Um, essentially, though, it's the time for me to take a, a few weeks off. Um, but really, there's activity going on. I start preparing for registration in June. We open up registration in July. Um, and so there is work for me to do, but in terms of renting out the facilities, no, the club pretty much sits quiet. Well, I really want to talk to you about, uh, of course, John Epping and I have been friends for a thousand years and, and what a great guy to have, uh, have doing the, the, the teaching pro, uh, type of situation, but you've got a thousand plus members or 1100, just about members. You do 150 K mm-hmm. and in uh, corporate uh, outings for people and corporations, uh, I guess uh, first is obvious question. Uh, is there any ice <laughs> time? Like, you know, cause we kind of think, but Pivey, we kind of consider a hundred people per sheet and yours is an eight f- sheet facility being full. That's 800, yeah. but you're at, <laughs> so I guess, how do you, how do you manage to get enough practice time to be able to keep somebody like John who would be, well, everybody would want to learn from him. Able to have enough ice time. Like, how, how, I guess, how do you work it? 
Well, it's it's a bit of a challenge. Um, and certainly our members know that if they're going to want to book practice ice, uh, generally the availability is between the hours of uh, 3 and 5 p.m. approximately in the afternoons. Um, you know, John does uh, do some teaching at other clubs as well. So he recognizes that he's always not always going to go and be able to secure as much ice as he wants from Leaside. But, um, you know, he and I work really closely together so that he can go and get in and practice and also book a number of lessons. I, I know tomorrow he's got sort of back to back for the entire afternoon, but he's been a fantastic asset for our club. He's just a, an incredible individual and a real pleasure to have to to deal with John. No, before I let Warren in, I just I had a great talk with uh, Gavin, the uh, club manager here in in Edmonton at the Shamrock Club, and about because they're they're kind of in the same boat as you. They're really really full, but there's lots and lots of people wanting to get in the club, and mm-hmm. so they're actually thinking about starting um, an early morning league, like a like a six a.m.er, um, so that the, they're done their six or eight ends or whatever, and then go to work. Kind of like kind of like you'd go to the gym in the morning at six and work out for your hour and a half or two hours and then and then head to work. Um, is that something you guys have thought about? Or maybe you already do it. I shouldn't assume anything here. No, we don't have any early morning leagues at this point. But to accommodate one of the school groups that's looking to rent from us, for the month of December and January, we're going to uh, rent out ICE to a school group from 7 to 8 a.m. for their team practices. So, and I, I'm guessing since we have to prepare three sheets or whatever for them, we'll open it up for practice time and see what response we get to that. Huh, that's interesting. Well, congratulations on such a fantastic, strong club. Warren, jump on in. You bet. So, thanks, Pipey, for, for joining us, and uh, congratulations on your success in Toronto want to expand on a couple of things. Your corporate business. Now, corporate events are big in the United States. I think we talked to a club in Detroit last year who told us that they did $300,000 a year in corporate uh, business. And of course, that's to a very large degree a foreign entity with clubs in Canada. How do you go about getting your corporate business through the door? Do you go out and solicit? Do they come to you? Exactly how does all that happen? Um, I really don't do any uh, solicitation. Um, I do have a lot of information available on the website, and I can always tell when uh, individuals and organizations have looked at my FAQ because they'll email me and they give me the exact information I need. How many people in your group? What day do you want to come? Do you need instruction? Um, but we have uh, a lot of our members come out and bring their uh, work teams out to the, the club. I've also had uh, developed some relationships with some tour companies. Some of these companies are are planning conventions for multinational corporations. They're going to be in Toronto for a week. They're looking for some form of activity. So I do quite a few bookings uh, with some of the tour companies. And a lot of the organizations, they come, you know, and they call me out of the blue. We're thinking of doing something, a team building activity at Christmas time. And I get a lot of repeat business. I have certain groups they call me every single year as soon as the season opens, uh, and they they book their their sheets. So a lot of repeat business. So what do they do? Do they try and book a specific time for a couple of hours, followed by a social event? Or do some of them try and book a half a day? What exactly is the norm? So the the norm for us is a two hour booking. Unfortunately, I can't do a half day because I have four draws pretty much every day. Um, so I just can't accommodate more than a two hour booking. And the way that we structure it is we offer them ice for a two hour period of time. We'll provide uh, instructors. The first 45 minutes or so is uh, time that the instructor is out on the ice with the group, making sure that they're safe. They know how to sweep and deliver a rock. They get them set up to play and end. Then the instructor leaves and the group continues for the balance of the time to play. How many clubs are there in the greater Toronto area, roughly? I think we're at about 24. Okay, so you're obviously one of the most successful How are the other clubs in the Toronto area doing overall? Are they all doing fairly well, some better than others, some struggling? What's the overall picture? Well, the big issue that we have in Toronto right now is that we have lost a lot of uh, curling sheets over the last five years due to the closing of curling facilities at primarily the private golf and country clubs, um, Scarborough, Weston, St. George's, Annandale, Bayview, all have gone and uh, closed up. So 
I think a lot of the clubs, I mean, are as a result have had to capture the overflow. So the clubs, I think, in Toronto, for the most part, are relatively healthy. Uh, the big challenge right now, though, is we could probably use another club out in the west end of the city. Uh, the options are few and far between. So the combined golf and curling facilities are very large in Ontario for those people who maybe live in other parts of Canada. So what's happening with those combined facilities? Why are they not continuing with the curling section? I think really, and this is my own personal opinion, the golf is the the driver and the golfers don't feel that the curlers pay their fair share. Um, even for the facilities that continue to offer curling, uh, and, and when I say the, the, the private clubs, uh, many of them have introduced uh, initiation fees that need to be paid. So the curling becomes extremely expensive. The initiation, the cost of curling, often food and beverage minimums. So um, some people are just, it, it's just become too expensive. How do you recruit people into the club? You've got a thousand members. I'm sure you lose some every year. You've got to bring in new ones. How do you do that? Do they come to you? Do you promote? Do you advertise? What do you do? Yeah, no, I don't do any advertising. And we stopped doing an open house about 10 years ago, uh, simply because people were showing up at the open house with our applications in hand, and then we're being turned away because we're already full. Um, so it's really, I think, word of mouth among the current members. Um, and we do um, get new members coming in every year. One of the things that I started about five years ago, just because I had so many people and I just didn't have room to accommodate them was I started a seven-week Super 7 Saturday Starter Series. It runs for seven Saturday mornings between mid-September and mid-December. It's for a novice league, fewer than five years of experience for all players. We do a 15 to 20-minute lesson in the lounge before they go out on the ice. And uh, then they're encouraged to play, but I tell them they have the freedom to go and change their lineup every week so that everyone has an opportunity to go and try out uh, each of the positions. And uh, that has proven to be really successful. I've filled and gotten 64 players every year. And it's great because it's only seven weeks. Some people, when they come to join a curling club, they don't want to commit to a 21 to 24 week season, especially if they've never curled before. They don't even know if they're going to like the sport. What we see is that we get people playing in the Super 7 for a couple of years, and then they start to migrate to some of the more traditional uh, leagues. Uh, the Weekend Mixed League is, is our largest league with 64 teams, um, so we can put in a, a team with relatively uh, small experience uh, uh, into like a fly date for the weekend mix, and it works out pretty well. So it's kind of like a stepping stone then from uh, try this if you like it, and then we'll move you into uh, another league. Correct. Okay, one more thing. Um, we've got some new ways of approaching the, the sport in the last few years. We've had things like stick curling introduced, mixed doubles, triples. Some clubs are grabbing onto this and using it as a, a new way of appealing to people. Do you run any of these leagues in these new categories at all? So I do have an open double series. Uh, it runs on early Saturday afternoons and it runs for 10 weeks. My problem is once I get past um, January, almost every Saturday is booked with uh, learned curl clinics, bond spiels. Uh, so I do a 10-week double series. Uh, haven't put in a triples yet. Our traditional men's, women's, open, uh, those leagues are, are, are thriving. So we haven't really tried to fit it in. Pivey, uh, we, we've interviewed several uh, other club managers uh, from time to time over the course of the show, and I'm not sure I've ever met a club manager that absolutely not only has her hand on everything in the club, but but looks like you make all the decisions and do all the work. It sounds to me like you're doing everything there all the time, and that may be the secret to keeping this club going. Well, there is certainly a large team that supports me. Let uh, let there be no doubt. I've got, uh, you know, three office assistants who do all the bookings and writing up my rental contracts and booking practice ice. Um, and I have volunteers that run each of the leagues and they're responsible for setting up the, the schedules and creating the teams and, you know, running the leagues themselves. But certainly I think... Um, 
I think as a club manager, it's my responsibility to be around and uh, available and visible at the club. Uh, There should be no reason why anyone at the club should not know who I am. So certainly for the first two months of the season, um, I get asked very frequently, do you have a cot where you stay overnight? Because you appear to be at the club all the time. And so today is like one of those rare days I'm actually not at the club. I'm actually at home looking at the pile of leaves in my front yard that needs raking. But uh, I I think you have to have um, a presence and, um, you know, I'm really passionate about, uh, you know, about curling and the sport. And I hope, you know, that um, my enthusiasm for the sport rubs off on the people around me. Um, it's uh, it's just a, it's a great sport. What What's the biggest challenge or the biggest hurdle, uh, Pivey, to, to running a curling club? Wow. Um, well, I'll, I'll say this. A curling club is a business. And when we first actually took over running the club, um, I remember I I didn't actually get the job in the first year. Um, And I remember the person who was interviewing me saying, well, you don't have experience in in curling and running a curling club. And I said to him, but I have 25 years experience in the financial services industry. And there are key things that you need. You need to be uh, a person who solves problems. You have to understand financials and your cost structure. You need to be able to manage people. You need to problem solve. So I think you have to be quick on your feet. You never know um, when something's going to blow up and you have to respond quickly. About three weeks ago, my sump pump broke down um, at the club. I had to shut down for a day and a half. But, you know, you're on the horn immediately saying, okay, I need someone in to fix this and they need to come fast. So I think it's just being really responsive and uh, just I think the problem problem solving skills are, are pretty key. Well, you're good at it, it sounds like. And uh, it's. I was going to ask you if you had a cot there too, working <laughs> at that place. Oh, my God. Um, Pivey, uh, thank you very much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Um, I, I, I bet you're going to get people trying to get a hold of you after they hear this interview. Congratulations on uh, running a huge, a huge curling club, uh, 1,100 members. Uh, well done. Uh, best of luck the rest of the year, and uh, hopefully we'll have you on again. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure speaking with you this morning. Thanks, Pavey. Thank you very much for coming on. Greatly appreciate it. I think I uh, get it now, Kevin, to run a club. You keep everything organized. You do all of it. You have your finger on everything, every tentacle, and you never go home. <laughs> no, you work 20-hour days, and uh, and it'll just run great. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there, there's no doubt in my mind. She she was kind of humble about it, but there's no doubt in my mind, Warren, that, that she's the secret to having that club rolling. Yeah, I don't think there's any question about that. And I think in most cases, uh, a successful club will usually evolve around a a manager who's doing a phenomenal job. The clubs that have that type of person behind them are today, I think, successful. I think those that aren't, you probably need to look at who's running things. You know, my sister curls, uh, I'm staying at my sister's place in Calgary. She curled four or five times. She's a member of maybe, maybe three or four different clubs that she's a member of. And... It costs her less than a couple grand a year to be at all these different clubs. She said it's the best deal ever. It's the best deal ever to curl. Uh, and, and, and yet some of those curlers are, no, no, that's too much money. I'm, I'm trying to be very polite to say they might, they might be a little tight, Kev, the old curling world. You know, I don't, <laughs> don't we know? I don't better we not know. say that. Take that out, Mike. Take that out. So they're a little close to the dollar, Kev, are they, the curlers? They're going to, they kind of scrutinize i'm getting i am babbling here because i'm gonna get i'm gonna get killed you're gonna get lit up a little i'm bit, gonna Jimmy. get lit up but <laughs> get off your wallets curlers get off your wallets okay and spend some money to, to keep your club going anyway what's happening around the curling world brought to you by jackpot city jackpot city casino games perfectly made for you uh before we get into it kevin you just finished doing a clinic at the nutmeg curling club not sure I like that name, Kev. I'm not sure I, not sure I understand what's going on. Uh, how was Connecticut, Kev? 
It was awesome. Um, really lucky in the last couple of months to have hit some awesome curling clubs on uh, the southern side of the border. And Jim, I was at the Triangle Club not too long ago in uh, North Carolina, about six weeks ago. And then Broomstones uh, in Boston um, about two, three weeks ago. And then at the Nutmeg Club. So Nutmeg. That area, um, it has to do now, you know, I'm just sort of uh, getting information second, third, fourth hand, but something to do with selling wooden nutmegs. So uh, it was, it was, it was, it was not a, a really good thing to do, oh. uh, but yeah, they'd make these wooden nutmegs and sell them and because nobody would test them until it was too late and they've already paid for them. And that's how the nutmeg uh, area, so there's lots of nutmeg, everything and nutmeg curling club being one of them, but uh, what a club. I was, uh. Three sheet club, uh, ice is absolutely fantastic. Uh, Bobby Stoll um, is the ice maker there. Um, she does just does a great job. Mike DiPolo, the president of the club, uh, helps with the ice as well. Does a lot of the scraping and uh, um, yeah. But you know what? <clears throat> when I go into clubs and I do the academies, I've always said, you know, no, we've never had any major injuries. Well, uh, so Mike DiPolo was helping me on the ice and and. They have the removable hacks at, at each end, which are which are great because you can scrape right over them. But anyways, um, they were in the uh, in the ice at the other end, and Mike was worried that you know somebody's going to throw a rock hard and hit the hack, so he was just going to jump off the boards and head to the other end and take the hacks out. Steps down on the ice on his on his gripper foot first, but then he forgot he didn't have the other gripper on. Down he went onto his wrist and ended up hurting himself for goodness sakes. So then, but he he came to the uh, the wine and cheese that night and had a glass of wine or two. And I I've reached out to him since. He's doing fine. He's doing great. But he took a bit of a a bit of a tumble, Mike. So uh, we're all we're all hoping you're doing great, Mike. But what a fantastic you know um, high energy people are great. We uh, just had some fantastic camps there. That's where you know it's sure nice to hear that uh, John Epping is is a teaching pro. We need we need more people teaching curling, uh, for sure in, in the world because uh, you know going to these clubs we just have an absolute ball on the ice and uh, they're usually two day camps, Jim and uh, we teach during the day one day. I do give a strategy session that's not on ice, but and then of course a, a fun night of wine and cheese and, right. and storytelling and that kind of Who, thing. Who's primarily Kevin the demographic for those camps when they? What's the what's the the average age or, or or break it down for me? Yeah, isn't that something? Uh, I don't know if I can even answer that. Um, it depends on the club. So both Triangle and and uh, and Broomstones, the average age of the club members pretty young, but but in uh, I would say well, not make two actually is fairly young, but a little bit older. So um, it's kind of neat as to what. But I, in this, in the U.S., I'd say you're probably somewhere in the average. 30 to 40 year olds. There are older people and there are younger, but, but somewhere 30 to 40 is probably average. Um, I, I would say Warren, um, the, the Canadian clubs are probably average age older than the U S clubs by, by a fair margin. Yeah. And in the U S it depends what region of the country you're in as well. And that grand national area, which is where you were, are traditionally a little older, but uh, again, it sounds as if that's getting younger as well, but certainly in some of the newer parts of curling in the U.S., it's quite young, very young. So if anybody out there is interested in having the Kevin Martin Curling Academy in your area, drop us a note at Inside Curling and he'll get in touch with you. Uh, Kev, the Red Deer Classic had some top teams there. Yeah, the Pumps and Pressure uh, event in Red Deer this weekend had a great field, actually. Um, let's talk about the women's side first. Um uh, Rachel Holman uh, ended up playing Caitlin Laws in one semifinal. Selena Sturmey, um, she curled out of the U of A, um, and now she's graduated and fantastic curler. And then played Nancy Martin, Saskatchewan, on the in the other semifinal. Sturmey won the one side. I was looking at online. I was watching the scores, and actually Caitlin was up three two after six, but then Rachel got a big deuce in seven, stole one in eight to end up winning that one. So Rachel took on uh, Selena Sturmey in the final, and Rachel. Uh, you know, she's just been on a roll lately, you guys. It doesn't matter where she's playing or what she's doing. She's just firing on all cylinders and ends up winning the final eight to one. So congratulations to Rachel and, and company on a, on another win. And on the men's side, um, listen to this. I'm, I'm going to go through a bit of the quarters here, you guys. This is the type of international flavor that are in so many of the bond spiels. And this was in Red Deer at the pumps and pressure. We got in the quarters, Kui playing Yanagisawa out of Japan. 
and McEwen playing uh, Janduk Park out of Korea. You had Suchinski playing a young Clyder team out of Saskatchewan. Morizumi out of Japan taking on Karsten Sturme, um, Selena's brother, uh, in the other quarter. Kui, McEwen, Clyder, and Sturme won those. The, the Kui, McEwen game was fantastic. McEwen was up 3-2 to two coming home. Kui managed to get his deuce to win that one. So he took on Clyder in the final, and that was a heck of a good game. Um, Cooey stole two in six to go up 6-3, which kind of ended that. But So Cooey ended up winning on one side, Holman on the other, but an, a really good event that's been going on in Red Deer for a long time. Um, and, of course, we'll be in Red Deer in January for the Co-op Canadian Open Grand Slam, and that's going really well. Uh, some friends of mine are involved with the organizing group there. So good on Red Deer to put on this this great event. Um, but also, just in a short time, just a few weeks, um, we'll be back in Red Deer for the uh, for the Grand Slam, the Co-op Canadian Open. Right. We know, uh, we know, Kevin, uh, that there's many top curling teams from Japan on the women's side. Boy, I think you, I think you, I, I, I didn't realize there's that was three or four teams you mentioned there. I think from Japan, two Japan on the uh, men's side, and one uh, one from Korea. So just an international field, and there's a lot of depth in uh, in uh, Korea, China, and Japan right now on both the women's and men's side. But interesting on the men's side, because I was looking at that, there were six international teams entered, four from Japan, uh, one from Korea, and one from Italy uh, were on the men's side. None on the women's side, but this is really interesting to see how these other countries are starting to come into these secondary events in Canada. We've we actually had a lot of chatter in our Facebook group this week of some people saying, what are we allowing these people to come into Canada for? And they're, they're getting <laughs> oh better God. at our expense. And oh yeah, it's going oh back God. and forth. And, you know, and it's, uh, it's, it's interesting comments. So, well, of course we want them to come into Canada and play. But these, uh, guys, these, these teams are fantastic people. Like when you get to meet them, they're just first class people and they just work really hard at the game. And then getting good at it, and yeah, fantastic. We're in our ne- next. <laughs> our next deal is the European Championships. Uh, what's going on there in Aberdeen? Well, we talked about this on the show last week, and it started last Saturday in Aberdeen. Uh, it's actually an A and B division. The A division is being played in Aberdeen, but the B division is being played in Perth. And the main function of this event really is to qualify eight men's and eight women's teams for the World Championships next spring. And so there's probably not any real big surprises here. We're more or less at the midway point uh, of the round robin. So on the women's side, I think we wouldn't be shocked to know that Terenzoni is in front at 6-0. and Interesting, who's in second place, however, Stefani Constantini is at 5-1. and and then we've got a number of teams at four and two, Norway, Scotland, Sweden. Interesting Sweden, of course, that isn't uh, Hasselberg, that's Arana, who's representing Sweden because she won the Swedish championship, I think, last spring. And then comes Denmark and Estonia at two and four each. Uh, Marina Kaldiv from Estonia making her first really big pitch at the world women's level. And uh, I would say those countries are probably the seven that are going to be in. The eighth spot, there's three teams at one and five, Czechia, Germany, and Turkey. Uh, who knows in that group who will come through, but I would suggest the other seven I mentioned on the women's side are probably going to be the qualifiers, I would guess, but we'll have to wait and see. On the men's side, again, probably no big surprise here, number one spot at 5-0, and oh, Mr. Italia, Joe Rotanas, is in first spot. Second, probably won't shock us either. Bruce Mowat is at four and one. And then we have three teams at three and two, Germany, Switzerland, and Sweden. Czechia at two and three, along with the Netherlands at two and three. And the one that's kind of a surprise right now down there as well at two and three is Magnus Ramsfall. And if I was to bet right now, I'd say those eight countries I've mentioned are going to be the ones that will advance because Turkey is at one and four and Finland's at the bottom at zero and five. So that event will conclude next weekend to determine the European champions in both men's and women's and the eight teams or countries that are going to advance to the world championships in 2024. Warren, okay, keep going. We mentioned this at the top of the show. Uh, there were some comments last week about the use of the FM signal. I'm gathering that's you get a little earpiece or something when you go in to watch an event. You heard from a listener that brought you uh, up to date with what's happening with this FM signal thing. Give us the front to back 
You bet I did. So Kathy Alderdice sent us a note. We hear from Kathy quite often, and, and she was a great curler uh, back a few years ago out of Manitoba. But Kathy reminded me that she's been at uh, Briars and uh, Scotty's and World Championships uh, in the last few years, and the FM signal is available in all of those events as far as she knows and has been happening, and she likes to take her FM radio, and uh, as soon as she gets in the building, finds out the... Uh, the actual frequency it's on and, and tunes in. So I would assume from what she has indicated that that will be an ongoing thing. So TSN will probably continue to provide that FM signal. So if you're going to a season of champions event this spring, take along your little pocket radio and you should be able to hear the commentators on that device. We're going to rank the top teams where they're at through the Bondsville season so far, Kevin and Warren. Uh, Warren, you go first. I'll just run through this uh, quickly because we're at almost the midway park and who, who the top 10 teams are at this point in time. On the women's side, number one, Taryn Zoni from Switzerland. She's uh, at the leading the pack. Anji Gim of Korea is number two. Carrie Anerson from Canada is in third spot. And just behind her is Rachel Holman, also Canada. Then Anil Hasselberg of Sweden. Jennifer Jones, Canada. Satsuki Fushisawa from Japan is number seven. Isabella Rana from Sweden is number eight. Caitlin Laws, Canada, number nine. And Stefani Constantini of Italy, number 10. Um, I don't think there's any surprises there. Those are the teams we would expect to see leading the pack at the women's side of things, and certainly no surprise as to who is number one. I don't know, does anything jump out to you, Kevin, on the women's side? Well, maybe a little bit with uh, Unjun Kim not in the mix. That's a bit of a surprise to me. Uh, Gim and Kim are always fighting it out out of out of South Korea, and and uh, Gim has clearly taken over. I think that's with the addition of Minji Kim that's really strengthened that that team. The other thing, I really, you know, I I know I've talked about it before, but Stefania Constantini getting into the top ten in women's, they weren't anywhere near there in my opinion just just eighteen months ago. And here they are, you know, top 10 and, and doing well in, in Europeans. And so that's kind of the two that the, the absence of, uh, of Unjun Kim in, out of South Korea and the, and the introduction of Stefania Constantini. Those are the two that, that, that really surprised me. Everything else is pretty understandable. All right. Over on the men's side, again, no surprise who is number one. Uh, he's Mr. Curling today, Joel Rotanas, Italy. Number two, Brendan Botcher, Canada. Quickly behind him, Brad Gushu, Canada. Nick Adin, Sweden. Number five, Bruce Mowat, Scotland. Number six, Janet Schwaller of Switzerland. Number seven, Ross White of Scotland. Eight, Matt Dunstan, Canada. Nine, Kevin Cooey, Canada. And number 10, Corey Dropkin, USA. I would think the interesting thing there is two Scottish teams are in that top 10. And uh, that's probably the first time that's happened in a while. Kevin, what jumps out at you? Um, yeah, young Ross White, very young and getting awfully good, awfully quick. I think that's that's a big deal. I think it's a big deal, uh, Corey Dropkin getting into the top 10. Um, that's a big step forward, I'd say, for that team. Always in the shadow kind of, of of John Schuster. Now sort of, you know, put the signal light on and sort of passing John and taking over U.S. curling. Um so I think that's kind of a, a big deal as well. But at the top, there's no surprises. Retornaz kind of owns the game right now, and you've got uh, both Botcher and Cooey and Adina Mowat. Th- those guys are all fantastic. You, could, you can shuffle the deck, and in, in one week's time, they could all be different. <laughs> you know, Bruce wins a big event, or Nick wins an event, or, or Brad, or whatever. And um, But to, to me, those, those lists make perfect sense. It's just uh, um, Italy being at the top is... is understandable when you watch but it's kind of hard to believe over the last few years that that our game has has went there which is great and then Corey Dropkin coming into the top 10 is uh is really good for curling to have a U.S. team near the top it was certainly good having Schuster there and now having Corey Dropkin sort of moving on in there it's good for the sport how many Canadian teams weren't in the top 10 you got Gushu Botcher uh, is Dunstone in there? Yes, we have four Canadian teams in the top ten in the men's, and on the women's side, we have also got four. Hot Rock Topics, brought to you by Coyote Tractor. If you have work to do, Coyote has the tractors, the UTVs, the ZTRs, 
and compact construction equipment to do it. Coyote, we dig dirt. Uh, So, Kevin, we get an email here from Chase, who's talking about the attendance at some of these events, but he's saying there are, you know, a lot of these big spiels are at small towns. And he's wondering maybe that's, you know, shouldn't they go to bigger towns to try and generate more spectators, uh, you know, into curling? And saying, well, you know, should they expand? Will they ever go to Chicago or Minneapolis or Detroit or another major U.S. city? That's a great question. Uh, Well, we just did go to a small, that's right, in the Grand Slams, went to a small place called Pictou County, um, but it was a sellout on the weekend completely. Actually sold standing room in the Jackpot City Lounge at the end of the rink and sold standing room around the around the concourse at the rail. So uh, tremendous success uh, and, and a lot of money raised for the Pictou County area. So, um, so that being a huge success, but you're right. I think um, when you're moving into the U S we need to look at the where the where matters a lot though, because there's certain areas in, in the U S where curling is very, very popular. And then other areas where curling is sort of just getting going. Um, so that is going to make quite a difference as far as the amount of people would be interested in that sport right? It's sort of just math. Um, but yeah, when you're talking about Canada, I guess it depends where you're talking. To me, uh, you go pretty much anywhere in Alberta, uh, Saskatchewan, or Manitoba, you're, you're going to get good crowds because there's curling clubs in every town. So the crowds are going to be fantastic. You know, Saskatoon will be great. So will Red Deer coming up in the Grand Slams. Um, anytime you put a briar or something into Regina or a Scotties, it's just going to be big. <laughs> it just... Or a Grand Slam, it just is. You know, you're in curling country. but So you want to be a little careful where you go in the area, in the region of Canada or the region of the U.S. is probably more important than the size of the community. It's kind of important as to how many curling clubs there are locally. And, uh, you know, and that that's probably more important than the size of the city or town, right? I think that's sort of where I want to get at. Well, television, right, is the big machine too, right, about, about these events. However, Kevin, I can't help but think Picto, which, which they, they came out in droves, uh, that certainly has to help the growth of curling in that town, I would think. You know, it may, it may not attract a bunch of curlers from across the country, uh, but, but it looks like it's doing wonderful things. Am I Well, I mean, yeah, well, locally it has to show a really good bump at the clubs. Absolutely. Well, uh, those clubs are likely. Now, I did not talk to any of the clubs, so I'm just guessing. This is my opinion, but you know, the clubs are probably doing pretty well when you move a Grand Slam into an area. And uh, um, Robbie Doherty, the MC at the Grand Slam, said, "Well, we're shoehorning them in today." <laughs> that was on a Saturday, Saturday afternoon, and everybody was just stuffed in the building. So that was great to see. But even you know, when you do see something like that, Jim, um, like Niagara Falls had great ticket sales. But because of that rail and everybody was standing up top partying, it didn't look very good on TV having the empty seats. But the, the seats were sold. So it was much better in Pictou County where the whole thing was packed, um, obviously. You know, that, and that really helps drive curling in Canada because you see a party like that and you go, well, if you're not a curler, you go, well, man, those guys are having fun. i got to get to the event in Saskatoon or I've got to get to the event in Red Deer or the one in Toronto coming up to players uh, later in the year to go see. Like, let's see this, this spectacle because obviously a lot of people like it. I'll tell you what I'm doing, Warren. Okay, when everyone gets up and goes and sits behind the rail, okay, and leaves their seat, I'm reselling those seats and I'm selling a bar pass. <laughs> Let me make some comments about this because uh, this was the business I was in for a lot of years is trying to fill buildings. And basically I could relate to it. How much money do you have? <laughs> because if you're going to fill a building in a big city, you're going to have to spend money. And uh, that's what it all is really connected to. You're going to have to spend the money marketing an event because you're going to be lost otherwise. So that's why often in a smaller center, you're not competing with too much more. It's either to let everybody know in that area that your event's coming and that you're going to be there. And I think the other things you can sell with the event besides what's happening on the ice are also important to marketing in a bigger center where you're competing with a lot of things. Uh, I think Chase asked about the USA. And I think that's a dead on as to what happens down there, having been involved with the number of events in the U.S. back four and five years ago. We're going into a lot of those cities and very hard to let people know that we're there without spending a lot of money, which they didn't have. We run a number of very successful events in Las Vegas, probably between 2015 and 2021. 
But keep in mind, again, those events were marketed probably primarily in Canada, and 95% of the people attending were Canadians because we simply couldn't afford the money that it would take to make a mark on it in Las Vegas itself. So that very often is going to be determining where you're going to put these events is, what's it going to cost us to sell it? Yeah, money, money, money. Right? Makes the world go around. Uh, okay, let's whip along. Uh, what are you hearing? Brought to you by Hearing Life. If vision places the world in front of us, hearing places us at its center. Hearing Life invites you to love your ears with a free hearing test, no referral needed. Visit hearinglife.ca to book your free hearing test today. What are we hearing? We've got a very interesting note from Richard Bates in Korea. Uh, I guess, Kev, you were over there last year and you met, uh, you were over there for the uh, World Mixed, right? Yes, Mixed Doubles. Yep. Uh, why, why don't we go to you first? Uh, you saw this note. What did, what did Richard have to say? So just a background on Richard. He's from Nova Scotia and he's in Korea, lives there full time. He's teaching English in Korea. So he's giving us his experience sort of, I'll paraphrase this a bit as to how curling is different in Korea and from Canada and the difficulty it is for a person to probably break into the sport just at a recreational level. So I won't read this whole thing, but I'll read the part that kind of outlines what he's trying to to tell us. He says, I'm told at the more competitive level, as you are aware, teams here are state-sponsored, the state being each provincial government. With only so many provinces comes only so many employed positions on teams. When graduating from public school or university, if a player realizes he or she is not skilled enough or doesn't have the connections to be selected to a provincial team, They usually basically quit curling to preserve different things in their career paths. It's completely different curling culture than what I was brought up in. I curl for the love of the sport. The players here have pressures put on them that players in Canada do not. The expectations might be the same to win, but the consequences of not winning are on a different level. Don't win and you could be out of a job. At a grassroots level, it should be fun. I've met some of my best friends through curling. As I got older, amazing volunteer opportunities came through curling. These aren't necessarily the same experience athletes in Korea have. Different country, different culture. Curling in Korea is a business. This is very good because this is an interesting thing with sport. And this is one of the problems in Canada where we've got things muddled between the recreational side and the high-performance side. Uh, there's never really been a clear line and still isn't in Canada. It's kind of muddled. But with most sports, I think, even in Canada, you will find a very clear distinction between the high-performance end of it and the recreational end of it. And I think it's interesting that he's pointed out in Korea, Korea, there's no fog here. It's a very clear line as to if you're going to go down this route, you are going to become a paid player. Uh, if you're going to go the other way, then you can be a recreational player, but we're not going to pay that much attention to you. So it's kind of interesting. Kevin, what do you gather from all that? Yeah, there's no question that uh, there's a lot of pressure put on the players to win <laughs> in in in, uh, in, the, in South Korea as far as curling goes or any sport goes. But they they work really hard at it. Um, I had the opportunity to work with Unjin Kim prior to the Olympics in, uh, in Pyeongchang in 2018. So it's getting to see their work ethic um, was incredible, actually. The amount of hours of practice is off the charts. So there's a reason why they do so well, yes. Uh, but I do not know the the, the small club. Uh, I've never been in one in, in, in Korea, so I, I can't comment as far as that goes. But from a high-performance end of it, um, you win because you, you spend a lot of time and you work hard at it, and they do exactly that, and that's why they're doing well both uh, on the men's and women's side, but pri- primarily right now on the women's side of uh, in, in Korea curling. They're fantastic. Do they practice more than Canadian teams do, Kevin? They practice like crazy. Um, they practice a ton, mm. Jimmy. I would, I, I, I think I can safely, without making too many people upset, uh, yes, they do. Um, they work extremely <laughs> long hours at it. Right. Um, and a lot of the Canadian top athletes would have other other things to do. They're 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 busy um, be, between you know having families and and uh, other employment outside of off the curling ice. So it makes it tough to be able to practice you know eight or ten hours a day. Mm-hmm. It's a job, Jim, and so they're being paid to do it, and, and that's what they what they do. Right. And I guess it varies from one of those countries to the other. But I remember talking to Marcel Rock when he was coaching the Chinese for a number of years back, probably about uh, seven, eight years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was telling me it, 
it's very much a, a six-day-a-week situation. It's 8 o'clock in the morning till 5 o'clock in the afternoon, um, five days a week. They also, on Saturday, they would be there till noon, and then they got to have time off from noon on Saturday until 5 o'clock on Sunday when they had to be back into the uh, almost dormitory situation where they were living. So it's a very different take on it than than we have for, for the top teams. I think, as well, a lot of these teams are younger, I think, particularly at the Asian level, and they're able to do this type of thing, whereas a lot of our athletes are older, more established, have families, and in some cases other jobs, which is different than what you're seeing in some of these other nations. Are, are these, uh, Kev and Warren, and then we'll wrap. Earlier in the show, we did the top 20 teams or top 10 teams in curling. Uh, in the world, uh, and there were four Canadian teams on both the men's and women's side. Um, so are those teams now, Kevin, curling full-time? Your Dunstones, your Gushus, your Einersons, your Homans, on and, and et cetera, et cetera? I would say for the most part, yes. They are okay. they are curling pretty much full-time. Um, but Kark, uh, for example, on the Kui team, um, they're in the top 10. But Kevin mm. works... Uh, um, full-time outside of curling and so does Carrick. they they okay they're, yeah. they're busy um so it's it's not quite the same as uh, other teams but um canada right now to have four in the top 10 on women's and men's canada's doing just fine like we're, we're yeah we're, pretty strong yeah we're still strong absolutely uh so there we go another show in the books thank you very much to pivy our guest uh from the leaside curling club in toronto she had lots of good things to say thank you very much to all of you people for listening and thank you to our two hosts, Kevin Martin and Warren Hansen. Uh, also, I want to thank Rod. Uh, you guys know Rod now through the show. Rod Paulson, his company, In-House Strategies, looks after all our Facebook uh, stuff, page, and group. Uh, join it. Join it if you haven't yet. There's uh, lots of good talk on there. And Warren always takes anybody on, baby. Yeah, Warren will take anybody on. Uh, Jim, Jim, Jim. I just I, I add to the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Drop us an email, insidecurling at gmail.com. One day I'm just going to leave that out, okay? And uh, I'm going to go like this. Uh, here's Warren Hansen's phone number. <laughs> uh, I kid. Insidecurling at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, perhaps we'll read your email on air. Thanks a lot to Jackpot City, Coyote, Hearing Life, and Goldline, who make all of this possible each and every week. Kevin from Edmonton. Me from Calgary, Warren from Port Coquitlam, our producers from Vancouver, and my sister's house is in Calgary. That's right. <laughs> oh, that we'll was see. insightful. Yeah, that was very good, wasn't it? All right, boys, have a good week, everybody, and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to Inside Curling. See you, Kevin. See you, Warren. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks, Jimmy.